0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this American Nurse Nikki podcast, the only podcast that keeps it real and pushes you to be the best version of you. Contact me at talk at gmail.com. Here we go. But first, grab that cup of coffee, pull up a chair, sit down, and let's talk. Today is just going to be one of those episodes where you just stop, pause, and really take in what's being said. I have on Greg Kostafis and he is talking about how he owned multiple businesses, making millions of dollars only to lose it all after becoming what he says is dishonest, unethical, and self-centered. He was charged with theft and served two years in the Colorado Department of um, Prison. He now speaks publicly on the power of truth and how dishonesty is becoming an accepted part of society. He has extensive insight on human behavior and how his experiences and actions affected his family, friends, and society. You'll want to take a listen. What's up, Greg?
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me on your show on this Martin Luther King Day. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad that you've joined us today, and, and we're here to talk a little bit about some pretty personal issues that you've went through to get to where you are today. But before we get into to all of that, I understand that you're an author You also have a podcast and you blog as well, and you talk about the power of truth and how dishonesty is somehow accepted oftentimes in our society, and one area in particular you focus on human behavior, which is so fascinating to me. So can you give us a little bit of background on your experiences in human behavior?
1: Well, I have a lot of various uh, experiences, the main one would be my own, just In the sense of losing my direction, my moral compass and not really, not really seeing how far I had strayed. You know, that's what caused me to get in trouble, uh, criminally and fail in my business and not be honest with people directly. And the, the biggest issue I think is that I see a lot of right now in the world is that people are accepting, um, dishonesty as being something that is allowable. And it's, it's really become to me, something that people are not really paying attention to. In other words, people are lying every day and kind of getting away with it, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. But at the end of the day, it really mm-hmm. can sneak up on you and massive things can happen. Kind of like what happened to me, because at first I thought there was no harm in what I was doing. Mm-hmm. But eventually it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it became something that just I of... couldn't control anymore, and it just became a mess.
0: Just be- once you start that one, it just kind of snowballs and gets bigger, and then before you know it, you've got this... Huge problem, yeah.
1: Yep.
0: So, and we'll we'll just jump right in there. Um, you were sent to prison um, yep. for some of those those um, problems that you talked about just a second ago. So, how did your your time in prison affect you as a person?
1: Well, um, <clears throat> it's funny. I tell people this when when I found when everything happened. <coughs> It was, it was a little bit of a relief because finally it was over. Uh-huh. Like being on the treadmill of dishonesty and, and trying to, you know, rob Peter to pay Paul and keep everything going. Right. So that that was a little bit of relief when I got arrested. And then I had almost a year until I got sentenced and went to jail. Mm-hmm. Um, of course there was anxiety and there was hope that I was just going to get probation and not go to prison. Right. But then I ended up in there uh, and then the minute that hit me, I quickly realized I had to change. So the first thing I did was uh, start writing anybody I could to forgive, not to forgive, to ask for forgiveness and kind of tell them I was sorry about what I had done and what had happened mm-hmm. so that they could, you know, I don't know, I guess here for me, I don't know if it was more for me or for them, but mm-hmm. so I immediately began to forgive myself and then try to, you know, apologize to other people to try to get things moving in that direction
0: Right, and that's that's really important before you can start to heal. And you know, is accepting what's happening to yourself, facing the truth head on, and just moving forward from it. And and that's yes. that's awesome. I mean, I commend you for that, because if you can't even accept what's going on and you're in denial, then there's right. and per- I was,
1: sorry. No, go I, ahead. <laughs> yeah, I never. Um, I never. I, I immediately. You know, I felt bad. Uh, especially right after everything blew up. I felt bad when it was happening, mm-hmm. but I was never in denial as to whose fault it was. You know, I never blamed, yeah. thought that the judge was overly harsh on me or wrong. I mean, I wished for a different outcome, but at the end of the day, I accepted it. And, and I realized that the only thing, the only chance I have of salvaging the second half of my life is to own the mistakes, learn from them, and then I spent a lot of time in you know going inside trying to learn my own behavior and figure out what I did and why. Yeah. And focused on becoming a better person.
0: Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, you're you're clearly on the right path now, so that, that is very important. That is just absolutely fantastic. So what did you learn, you know, from those experiences of losing your freedom at that time?
1: Well, I learned that all the things I thought were important are not. Um, at the end of the day, the only thing that mattered was my health. Um because you have to take care of yourself first. Mm-hmm. Something my grandmother grandmother told me a long time ago. Uh, taking care of my children would be number two, mm-hmm. uh, and then you know repaying my debt to society, trying to be a better person overall person to to everybody, not just uh, not just my family and my friends. So I spent a lot of time really working on on self improvement, prayer, meditation. Um, you know, just really focusing on what are you going to do now to try to get back to your kids, which meant, you know, learning and being as, you know, doing everything possible to get out as soon as possible, which I did. And then once I get back in their lives, making sure that I walked the new path that I put myself on to be honest and direct at all times so I can be by example for them and not, you know, I don't want the pattern to repeat itself, obviously. You yeah. Know, so
0: Yeah. So how did you learn to cope with stress while you were um, behind bars? Um, As a felon is is there a certain mindset that you had to to get into or how did you cope with that
1: i quickly came up with my own system Mm -hmm. um and there are a couple of tricks there's a lot of noise in prison there's no privacy obviously and it's just a lot of random uh very intense upsetting noise like people are angry people are upset people are it's like being in a how to describe it like a being in high school there's no rules like everybody's just
0: kind of
1: doing whatever the hell they want yeah so you know i quickly realized i had to get a set routine and that routine had to repeat every single day because i knew that would make it monotonous for me in the sense that time would just go by Uh so my routine i wore earplugs pretty much everywhere i went in prison somebody gave me a set of earplugs and just dulling that noise do you feel that that was,
0: probably kept you out of trouble too because you were just kind of zoned in on your own thing? You kept, you know, kind of in the mindset of keeping your head down and just motion through the day
1: Yeah, that be, become invisible is how I thought of it.
0: Like yeah.
1: I, yeah. I, I don't want to be I don't want to be singled out I don't want anybody to give me a hard time. I wanted to keep it very very simple and very very, you know, yeah very very focused so that was one thing every morning i got up first thing i did was meditate i taught myself to meditate in there um which there were no doors on my cell so it was kind of awkward that you know guards would come by for counts you know they counted you Mm -hmm. like four or five times a day to make sure you were there right and they would they would see me sitting there you know meditating uh, other inmates did and i was really surprised at first i was intimidated i'm like oh they're going to give me a hard time about this but no one I kind of rose to a different level um, because I was so to myself and just doing my own thing that people didn't really bother with me. Um, after that I would pray, then I would journal. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a job so I'd get up and I'd go to my job all day from like seven to three. Awesome. Then I'd Then I'd come work out, then I'd go to dinner, then right after dinner they had a computer lab where I'd go and write or I wrote a book and then after that I would go back to my room and walk. I mean, i go back to the yard and I'd walk laps because I was fortunate enough to be in a very low minimum level facility where I could be outside till midnight if I wanted to. So I just walk laps,
0: uh-huh.
1: you know, 20, 30 laps around the yard. Then I'd go back in my room and I'd read some more. I would pray and I'd meditate and the day began again.
0: Wow. Yeah. So... How did your actions affect your family um, and your friends and society?
1: Uh, Well, let's start with, let's see, we'll start with friends. Uh, People that I thought were my friends pretty much turned their back on me immediately. Uh You know, committing, you know, hurting so many people was very difficult for most people to handle. But the people that did stick with me are still my best friends to this day. Um, They didn't forgive me for my actions, but they they supported me. In other words, they, you know, one friend came almost every weekend to visit me. Um, when I got out, he helped me. Um, but he also, you know, made it a point to, you know, they always would correct, like, you know, don't forget what you did. You got to pay these people back, which I've been working very hard on. Yeah. Uh, my, fam- my family was tough. My uh, my ex-wife and I, we got divorced when I was in prison, but we were kind of on the way out anyway. Yeah. And my, my children, it was tough. My oldest daughter, a very tough time with it um, just the shame of it because she was in high school my middle daughter was still in middle school and she had she had a, a tough time but didn't really say much about it my youngest daughter was eight okay. and I think emotionally just having me be gone
0: mm-hmm. was
1: really traumatic for her so yeah that was uh, affected them and you know my parents were shamed by it by my actions but they they've always stuck by me uh, my brother and I definitely had a few years of of uh, relationship rebuilding after I got out, which was still we're just kind of turning the corner on now Because he also was kind of ashamed by what happened and we share the same last name. So I mean yeah
0: you know, Yeah, and
1: it's not a common name. So I mean it's like people knew what was going on.
0: Yeah, and I understand that you At the time or before when all of this was happening that you were a very successful um, businessman and Made good money doing that. I mean, you had a successful life. You were raised in a good family, and and so you know, it, it, take us back to a little bit um, of how you grew up and.
1: You know, I had a very uh, very simple middle class upbringing in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where I'm from. Parents, my parents are still married. They live in the same house I lived in. Um, nothing unusual there. I was definitely more of a ambitious kid. I think I wanted more than. Then my parents or my siblings, um, and that drove me to you know move to Colorado first of all. I was one of the first, actually the first kid to leave the state of Massachusetts and actually go live somewhere else. Yeah. That was in my mid twenties, and then you know I started this car dealership with a ten thousand dollar loan from my uh, then wife and built it up to in two thousand six we did I did almost ten million dollars in sales, and you know two thousand eight happened. It blew everything up and I couldn't, rather than let go and just file bankruptcy, which is what I should have done, I foolishly thought that somehow I could carry through this and in my wake, I pulled in a lot of people into my financial mess and they were unaware of what was going on yeah. and that's when it all kind of fell apart. Yeah. After you know, three years.
0: Yeah. So talking about you know your childhood and childhood behaviors in particular, Did you, while you were in prison, did you ever talk about anyone else that was there? Did, you know, did you see a lot of people that maybe came from bad backgrounds or any childhood patterns that you you were aware of or anything like that? Or did most people? Go ahead.
1: No, I learned a lot. And I've learned a lot since I've been released because I've done a lot of work. Um, You know, I'm, I'm trying to get really actively involved in criminal justice reform they met a lot of people that had no support. You know, I had visitors almost every weekend. There yeah. were people that would literally sit by the visiting room just to get glimpses of people from the outside, and they never had a visitor. Right. I mean, the whole time they were there. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, drug drug abusers was pretty pretty prevalent. Uh-huh. Um, you know, guys mainly hooked on crack and, you know, heroin, mm-hmm. and they kind of lost all of their... Um, Yep. Lost a lot of their teeth. You know, you could tell that their family, their families, had completely turned their back on them because they had taken advantage of them right, to, to yeah. support their
0: drug
1: habit. Yeah, So a lot of them had a lot worse childhood than me. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, and do you, when you talk about brain functions and things like that, do you also kind of specialize or have some insight in that as well about the human anatomy as far as how the brain functions? That you could maybe pass along.
1: Yeah, I do actually. Um, it's funny. I went to a TEDx talk and I met a professor from uh, Denver University. Mm-hmm. Her Name is Kim Kim Gorgans, and she did this whole study on inmates that um, the majority of inmates, and this is a fascinating fact, and I'll loop it back to myself, that had some type of head trauma mm-hmm. tended to at a younger age, whether it was you know being abused by their parents or getting in fights and maybe even sports. You know, any kind of head trauma, like, you know, you know, concussions, mild or severe, they tended to make poor, more poor decisions and become incarcerated than people that did not.
0: That's so fascinating. I mean, it, was it,
1: fascin-
0: it, it makes was sense.
1: Yeah, It does make sense, right? Because you can't think properly. Because, uh, uh-huh. you know, the, even when people say to me, you know, I mean, how many, can't even tell you how many times people said to me, like, what were you thinking? Yeah. Like, because they, they know me, and they're like, it doesn't make any sense as to why you would act this way. Well, um... And I'll never make excuses for my behavior, but this uh-huh. was enlightening because I did have a traumatic, uh, I had a brain aneurysm playing football. Oh, wow. Uh, when I was 15 or 16 years old, I tore an artery in the back of my neck.
0: Oh, my goodness. Okay.
1: So, so I had had a, uh, a spinal tap and I was in ECU for, for three weeks. Yeah. It was very, very severe. Like I had to lay flat. I couldn't move until it healed. Mm-hmm. And, and I never thought of that being as, any kind of thing but you know it's funny my mother wanted that to be part of my case and my attorney looked at him like you're looked at her like you're crazy you can't bring that up the judge is going to think you're you know making stuff up little did i know that this woman in denver was actually studying it because it it actually had some plausibility to it that uh, being able to make rational decisions is affected by head trauma
0: yes yeah you're right it is absolutely so do you have any any tips for the listeners out there um, that may be struggling or on the fence about uh, poor decisions and just and just being honest in general, so they maybe not you know they can stop the road that they're traveling down and maybe not end up where where you had to go and and things like that. Any advice at all out there to anybody that's oh. listening?
1: You haven't got enough time in your show for these like guys. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very simple. I mean, and this is what I learned because I had fallen so far, right? And my reputation was destroyed. Mm-hmm. When I came back, I only had one option because everybody was going to peg me as the guy that lied and deceived people, right? Yeah. So I had to be grossly honest, like just like any person I met. You know, the woman I'm engaged to. You know, second date, I had an ankle monitor on my around my ankle, and she invited me to her house for dinner, and. Literally right before dinner started. I said well, we need to have a discussion. Yeah, and I told her my whole told her my whole story Yeah, you know and this and I told the story before multiple times and every time I've been asked to leave or We'd be at the restaurant. She's like well, I'm gonna go, you know, it is, people didn't want to deal with it Yeah, but now I could have easily hidden it for as long as I could have gotten away with it But that's not that's not the way it's got to be so for your listeners out there who are maybe thinking about the little indiscretions they make, whether it be to their boss, to their spouse, even to their children, it's so much easier. and so much, you get so much more clarity in your mind. You get so much more ability to think and and be happy when Mm -hmm. you just say the, the gross truth. Like even if you're not, even if somebody's annoying you or not, you know, you're just not feeling it. You can say it in a kind way, but kind of ending it, ending that conversation or stating your facts, you'll gain more respect. From whoever you're talking to you will sleep better at night and you won't have anything to worry about because you won't have to second guess what you told them right you will not have to cover cover your lie you
0: know yeah and care it's like you know carrying that heavy 100 pound bag over your shoulder everywhere you go and then you can just put that down when you're brutally yeah. honest right. with people you don't have that extra baggage that you're carrying around and yeah, that's definitely. I can see that being being a better place to be. Yeah.
1: Well, and it, it's such a rarity that people don't know what to do with it. Like, I, I love it when people look at me, but it, but it, you know, when I'm when I'm that blunt about my story or blunt about whatever, you know, whether it's I don't want to, you know, people invite me to do something. I say, it's not how I want to spend my time.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I
1: kind of I kind of laugh at the end, but it, that's the truth. Like, right. you know, it's just nothing personal. Yeah. Um. And It's refreshing, but what I found is that it actually gives you more of a magnetic personality People are drawn to you uh, because they're like wow there's somebody who's actually doing what I wish I could do They're Uh just being honest about how they feel at all times. How does that how does that feel? I wonder how that feels that is a lot of people think.
0: Yeah, you're and you know what that's true That is so true because a lot of people have a front that they put on whether it be you know in front of certain family members or even friends and and so yeah. 100% agree with that, which is one of the reasons that I have you on here today because I was like, man, I got to have him on. He he's just the real deal. I mean, he he's been to where people don't want to go and he's turned his life around and he's he's talking about it and you don't really find that's you don't find that I guess the word I'm looking for is authenticity much in people. So I commend you on what you're doing. You're doing a oh. good job now. So awesome. So you do have a book, and so for um, you did say you wrote a book in prison. And do you want to talk about that a little bit as well?
1: Sure. Yeah, I wrote. It, I started writing in a prison. Um, when I got out, I had to organize it because it was kind of a mess. But it's called "The Truth About Lies: How Admitting Nothing Can Cost You Anything." Uh, it's on Amazon, and basically it's broken into ten chapters, and it's kind of. Um, it's kind of the story of what we've been talking about now, but broken into different pieces about what I went through and what I've learned, and, you know, the, the different different lessons and ideas I've come up with to cope with, with with what happened. Okay. Yeah.
0: And so people obviously are into podcasting now, and you have a podcast show as well, so go ahead and share that with my listeners as well, because... You know, I'm pretty certain that you're going to pick up some listeners, um, you know, you're no, getting...
1: be Great. Yeah, my, my truth my podcast is called Pitching the Truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about, I mean, mainly interviewing and being interviewed like we are here with, with various, uh, different people trying to discuss, again, the same things we talked about today in different aspects about overcoming adversity, um, how to rebuild your life, how to come back from rock bottom is something I've been working a lot on recently. That's what the podcast is about, and I have, you know, various guests. Sometimes it's just me, but, yeah, it's been it's been a great experience. I think I'm on about 35 episodes by now, so.
0: Awesome. And then you blog yeah. as well, and do you have a website or anything that they could maybe visit?
1: Yeah, sure. My website is uh, veracitygp.com, dot com, and I write a lot of uh, articles on Medium. You can find me there as well, which I found to be a great resource. And of course, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those wonderful places. But uh, yeah, I, I try to get I try to get my message out there as much as possible. In between doing the other things that I do.
0: Well, Greg, it's been awesome having you on today, and and you keep doing what you're doing. You're you're you know, you've made a life changing experiences there, and you're doing awesome. So I mean, that's all you can really ask for is to just keep doing the right things and staying positive and being a, a good. Um, inspiration for other people And that's what you are You're really an inspiration for people So I think that we're going to have Some listeners today That may take You know Take a little bit of a piece here And a piece there That can benefit them So Awesome I, well, I, Thank you for coming I, on
1: No problem I'm really Thank you for having me And thank you for uh, For reaching out Like I said It was kind of a random thing And I looked at it I'm like What are we going to talk about Yeah You really You really hit all the things That I'm passionate about Talking about And I You know Like I said I really like any of your listeners hopefully even one just to be like well i'm even going to second guess my decision today on what i'm going to do yeah uh, and try to be more positive and and uh, and honest i think that's important so thank you so much for having me
0: yes no problem and that's going to do it for today's podcast i hope that each and every one of you can take something away from this in a positive way and until next time Live your best life. See you, friends.